for you to read along with me. We uh, started last week kind of in the beginning of this, of this chapter and, and specifically talked about how the, the letter of Hebrews reads or, or acts out more like a sermon than it does necessarily a letter. There's, there's not a lot of understanding who the author is or, or what's going on, but we can kind of deal with or see what the author as a whole is trying to accomplish. And, and what we said last week and pushed on you guys was that, that the author is really making the point and pushing very hard to say that, that Jesus is, is, is greater. Jesus is the most important thing. He is who everything is about. And he actually kind of dives in deeper into this this week as well, and specifically around the, the topic of angels. And, and my assumption is most of us haven't spent a lot of time maybe thinking about angels, or, or maybe we have, or some of us have kind of gone back and forth on that. But, but my bet is most of us didn't wake up this morning thinking about angels. But um, scholars are kind of, and theologians disagree on this section because there's such a huge chunk of scripture that, that they talk about angels here that some scholars and, and, and commentators believe that there was maybe a risk of, of angel worship happening in this first century ch- church, that there were people that were maybe elevating them a little bit higher. And then, and then a lot of the others, kind of the divide is, that, no, this is just one aspect of trying to establish how powerful and big Jesus is. And I, I kind of tend to, to believe that maybe it was the latter. I'm sure there was definitely some ill beliefs, and there are today, of, of angels and, and their role in, in the church in Christ and, and how that plays out. But I think this airs more to the point where the author's doing a, an incredible, incredible job of arguing out the point of why Jesus is greater. And, and we'll just say it this way, that Jesus is greater than any good thing that's out there. Anything that's good out there, Jesus is actually greater. Everything that is good, the worship and everything that we do from, from Bible reading to community groups to, to, to all the good things that we try to do are meant to point to Christ. None of them should be in it of themselves the, the thing that we do. They should always be something that's compelling us or pushing us to, to know and to love and to, to experience and to live out more of Jesus Christ. And so as the, as the author goes into this, he does a a really brilliant job in, in two kind of rhetorical questions. He, he, he begins a section asking this rhetorical question and then ends it again asking this rhetorical question. And for most of us, that just seems like he likes to ask rhetorical questions. But in, in this day, rabbis would use this as a method to teach. They would start with a question that they already know the answer to, that they're assuming everyone's going to know, and then they would end it again with that same question, and the hope would be that the argument was so compelling that everyone would be nodding their head at the end going, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's what's going on. And that's what we, we kind of jump into right here in this scripture. And what, what this author does is, is profound and amazing, and it's, we're only going to be able to cover some of it, but let's go ahead and dig in. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 4. We read that last week, but then we'll go to the end of chapter 1. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. 
They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you, roll, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so this, this section seems like, obviously there's a bunch of quotations. Well, what is he quoting? Well, what this, what this author does, which is, is so awesome, is he starts with this rhetorical question, and then he breaks it down by going to Scripture. So each of these arguments he's going to make, there's three big arguments, are all pairs of different scriptures in the Old Testament. And so he's literally going to go through, and there's going to be these first two, and we'll talk to him in a second, and then these next two, and then these next two. And then he ends it with another quote of scripture, Psalm 110, to kind of cap his point. So there's seven scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, that the, that the author is communicating to try and communicate something very specific. That is that angels are less than, than God, and Jesus is God. And that's the point he's, he's making here. Again, for us to understand before we dig into the, the breakout of this, we, we have to acknowledge like angels are real. And I understand that sometimes like people, there's like this, uh, this, this discomfort with the spiritual world and how this works out. We see all over the scriptures the interaction of angels and them doing something. In fact, um, I just, uh, in my notes, I wrote this way. Angels are spiritual beings um, who have intelligence, emotions, and will. We see that they have intelligence in Matthew 8, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 1. They show emotions, Luke 2, James 2, Revelations 12, they exercise will, Luke 8, Timothy 2, Jude 6. Um, they see that they are spiritual beings, Hebrews 1, 14, where we just read that. Um, they praise God, Psalm 148 and Isaiah 6, 3. Both Hebrews 1 and Revelation 5 talk about the fact that they worship God. Um, they serve God, Psalm 103, Revelations 22. They appear before God, Job 1 and 2. They're instruments of God's judgment, Revelation 7 and 8. They bring answers to prayer, Acts 12. They aid in winning people to Christ, Acts 8 and 10. They observe Christian order and work and suffering, 1 Corinthians 4 and 11, and then Ephesians 3 and 1 Peter 1. They're, they're, they're all over the scriptures. They encourage in times of danger, Acts 27, and they care for the righteous at the time of death, Luke 16. And so we have plenty of scriptures riddled talking about angels, but you want to know something else? There are like a dumbfounded amount more scriptures talking about Jesus Christ. So yes, the angels are real, and yes, they are in place, and yes, they have a role, and they, 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 they specifically, if you notice what their, their role is, it's, it's continually pointing to the work of Jesus Christ. It's continually pointing to him as king. It's continuing to worship God. And in this scripture that we're today, we'll see that the, the, kind of the two main purposes that come out of this scripture. But angels are real. The, the first century Jews, to most of us, the first century Jews, we don't understand this. But they, they really understood that everything was communicated to him through the aid of angels. Angels speaking to prophets, angels speaking through dreams, God using angels to do this. Like, this was a big deal. Even Deuteronomy 33.2 um, 33, talks about the legion of angels in place on Mount Sinai helping bring the law. So, so angels play this profound role in communicating to, God, to, to God's people. Like we learned last week, it's that the various ways that God communicated his people, he now does one way through the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so it's not that those were bad, it's that this is how it was done, but, but what we're in now is greater than. And so this author's making a pretty big point on, on look, angels are, are profound and they serve a purpose and that's great and they're beautiful and they're spiritual beings and they're perfect and there's all sorts of crazy cool things about it. But if we make it about them, we, it would be offensive to even them because they would say it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Our role is to bring glory to Jesus. Our role is to worship God. 
And so that's what's happening here. So then what the author does is he takes what most of the people did that day and age would heard, and he goes to the scriptures that they would have all known. He, would go, he goes and starts quoting out scriptures that every single one of them like, oh yeah, I've been, I've been taught that, I memorized that, I've heard that, I've done that. And he points out every single one of those scriptures that they had memorized and learned and everything were speaking about Jesus. Not some hypothetical Messiah in the future. It was, they, they have experienced it. He has come. The Messiah King has landed. It's Jesus Christ. And that's what they're doing. Now, a secondary point before we go on, and I, can't, I don't have necessarily time to go into this as a whole, but I wanted to make this point. It's really interesting that when, when an argument comes about who Jesus is or something understanding in Scripture, that the author here uses Scripture. Now, I don't know about you and me, but I feel like a lot of times we're pretty good about arguing from blogs or taking our theology from Facebook. When, we, when it comes down to, like, what do we need to know about God? How, how, do we, how do we defend our faith? How do we understand truth? The scriptures have it. We are to go to God's word and to look here for his answers. It doesn't mean it's going to be always super, super clear to us. But this is where we start. And I love the author. He just doesn't even make a point. He could have said all these things. Well, Jesus is greater. And it would have been perfectly true. But he goes ahead and, and just comes right to Scripture and says, and this points out, and this points out, and this points out. And he just lays out Scripture. So many of us are susceptible to what is systematic theology, which is good thinking that's made by man on what we understand in Scripture. And there's a point for it. There's goodness in it. I, I tell you, it's great. But the problem is it's always a little skewed sometimes because it's our brain trying to make sense of this. We need to really let the biblical theology come out. We need to know what the story, the narrative of the scriptures are saying and trust them as truth. And this is where we start. I'm not saying we abandon ship on everything else. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. There's so much good in all of that. But this is where we make our points. This is where we look for truth. This is where we defend our faith. This is where we look for our answers. This is how we look to live our lives is through the scriptures. So if nine times out of ten you have a question about Scripture and the first thing you do is you look for your favorite podcast or you look look your favorite friend, like you need, to, you, need to, you need to pause on that. Go to the podcast, but go to it after you've sought the Scriptures. Look at the Scriptures. If you have the Spirit of God, you have the ability to understand these because wisdom comes from above, pure and undefiled. So we've got to look at Scriptures. That's a total secondary point. We go on that all day long, but I won't. But we'll move on. So... So the author here goes to Scripture. So what does he do? He quotes in the very first, um, very, uh, verse 5 and 6, he comes to this, and he basically says, look, the, the Son is superior because of the name, the Son. Which is, which is to us, is like, oh, okay. Okay, makes sense, I guess. But what he's saying is, look, we can pull Scriptures where the angels have been considered children of God. And we, as, as those of us that have been adopted, we're children of God, but none of us have the name Son, which is God. And that's why he's saying, he said, he's already made this point in the first four verses. He went back to it again. The reason why the Son is superior, the reason why Jesus is superior to angels is because he's the Son. And he quotes Psalm, 20, Psalm 2, 7 and 2 Samuel 7, 14. says, look, these scriptures are pointing to the fact that he's called Son. No angel, no angel gets to say that they are the Son of God, that they are God. No angel does. And so he makes the point specifically around that. says, look, Jesus is truly the greatest thing because he's the son and no one else can claim that not even the perfectly created spiritual beings of angels they would be the first ones to say no it's jesus not me they point at him 
And so he makes the point that the son's superior because of his relationship to the father. It's, it's, it's because he's God's only son. Because he is truly God in son form. He is better. He is more superior. He is greater than. The second point he makes in this is, is um, he focuses uh, attention on the angel's positive but inferior position. So again, I want to be really clear. This isn't the angels are like, oh, we just need to like, do away with all of them. No, they're very positive, and we'll talk about that at the end. But he talks about their inferior position by the fact that the next two scriptures he quotes are Psalm 97.7 and 104.4, talking specifically about the angels, and what are they doing? They are commanded by God to what? Worship Jesus. And for most of us, when you think about worship, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, you, you worship God. I think if I asked you what else do you worship, most of us say, well, nothing. But, but realistically, a lot of us, if we're not careful, we, we unfortunately do worship a lot of things. We give our affection and attention to relationships, to money, to circumstances, to positions. We find ourselves worshiping all kinds of things. And so for, for this argument in this time, it made sense to them where they said, okay, worship is only to God. God is the only one that can be worshiped. So the fact that God is commanding the angels to worship Jesus does two things. One is lets us know that Jesus is God. Because it would be a complete, complete jump from who God is for God to command anyone other than God to be worshipped. And that's the second thing we can do is that he's making the point. Like, look, the angels are worshipping Jesus. They're commanded to worship Jesus. So how in the world would the angels ever be higher than what they're actually worshipping? The one thing that's true, whether we worship God or worship relationship or money, you're basically saying that those things are greater than you when you worship them because you put yourself underneath. Again, maybe some of us don't see it that way, but, but truly to worship something is to recognize that you are not equal level with what you're worshiping. And so God commands the angels to worship Jesus. So the angels aren't greater than Jesus. And then the last pair of scriptures he uses is Psalm 45, 6 through 7 and, and 102, 25 through 27. He, he, he kind of comes back to a point he's already made, which is that Jesus is forever. There is no end to Jesus. There is no like, okay, well, it started at this point and then ended this. No, like Jesus is forever. He is continuous. He is eternal. He is not a created being like the angels were created beings or like we are created beings. Jesus is forever. He is God and he's on the throne of God and therefore he is forever. And so how in the world could anything ever be greater than Jesus? And that's the point he's making here. And he says, look, look. Jesus is so much greater. He, he quotes all these scriptures that every single one of these first century Christian Jews would have been like, oh yeah, I know that one. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, it's pointing, it's pointing, it's pointing. And so he ends at this. So then, which of the angels? Ask the rhetorical questions. How would, you, how would you ever believe this? But which of the angels did God say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? None. None of the angels have been spoken to that. And we talked last week, the, the right hand is the position of authority. It's a position of equal authority. This is his inheritance. Jesus, we've already heard, Jesus inherits everything in the kingdom. So he is, he is literally up there. He's the, he's the top dog, big cheese. He's got it all. There is nothing greater than him. Jesus is at the right hand. And he says, and the enemies will be put under your feet. Now this says two really profound things to us. For us, maybe not as much. But the first one that every single first century Jew in this time would have heard was, oh, hope. Why? Because they're starting, like we said, they're starting to experience persecution. There wasn't any martyrdom yet. That's coming. 
But they, they were starting to experience immense persecution for believing in Jesus as Messiah. And so, so what this last statement is saying, look, until I make your enemies what? A footstool. So that gives every believer hope. That means that you right now, as you're battling darkness in your marriage, you're battling the darkness through family or, or wrestling with this dark world, you can understand that ultimately that darkness will be the footstool to Jesus Christ. He's already conquered death and sin, and he will, when he comes again, put it all underneath his feet. That is immense hope. And maybe for us, because we're not so persecuted, we're like, oh, I mean, cool. It's a footrest. I mean, I like reclining in a chair. No, this is, this is a, an immense promise of God coming in and doing away with everything finally and saying the enemies will be at the foot of this. It's also a a really, really big, obvious statement. Just like we can say, obviously, there are angels. We can obviously say that, look, we're going to have enemies. If you bear the name of Christ, you will have enemies for the gospel. It will cut and divide in families, in friends. You will have enemies. But all enemies of God will be underneath Jesus' feet. And that will be done. And so he says these immense promises here. I think the author is trying to do this and he, because of the fear that anything good can get disoriented into something that's the thing. And I, I maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's like this, but like, have you ever gotten like, geeked out on some topic in the Bible? You get really excited and you just want to know a lot about it and you like, spend a ton of time studying it. It's like what you bring up at every conversation. If you've been to any men's group on Thursday morning, you've experienced this because this just happens, okay? But like, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but you get so excited about something that it, it can, if you're not careful as you start studying and looking into this, Jesus becomes less and less and less and less. And this becomes the thing. And for, for most of us, we're, like, we're not maybe thinking angels are, right? But, but my fear is that there may be some things. The way we, we sing, worship, music. We've made it about how we do it as opposed to who we're doing it for. The way that we interact with our spouse. We've made it about them being happy as opposed to being a perfect picture of Christ in the church. Look, we all make those mistakes. The fact is, is that Jesus has to be greater than every single good thing out there. The goodness you experience is a gift. It's mercy, it's grace, it's awesome. But the instant it becomes about that, you've, you've taken Jesus off of his rightful place, the right hand of God, his throne, and you've put something else there. And we're all at risk in this. Do you understand that we're all at risk in this? This is literally in chapter two, at the beginning of chapter two, we'll get there in two weeks after Christmas Eve. He literally begins it with his first like, and be careful, it, pay attention, because here's what will happen if you're not paying attention. We don't ever just all of a sudden look and go, wow. I mean, I was perfectly following Jesus great yesterday, and today I'm a complete mess. Not following Jesus at all. Now, we're all probably complete messes, but there were progressions. There were steps. There were choices made. Our gaze was fixed on something else other than Christ. We caved. We gave in areas, and we stepped slowly, slowly there. You, you, never, you never drift towards reliance on God. You drift towards self-reliance. And so... Jesus has to be greater than everything. And you, you may be like, well, we talked about this last week. Well, good news, the book of Hebrews is going to continue to talk about this, Jesus being greater. And as I pushed on you last week, 
said, look, we're going we're gonna to make a commitment. We, we asked you guys to, to make this last year about maturity and let God really mature you and cut away the things that were immature in you and, and really push. And I said, we're going to make this next year about faith, risking faith. In that maturity, we're going to step out in faith. And as I, as I look at it, you will not be able to step out in faith if you're not founded on Jesus is greater than anything that you fear, greater than anything that's good, greater than he's your strength, he's your power, he's your hope, he's your peace. He's absolutely everything. He has to be greater. And so I'm willing to bet that most of you didn't wake up this morning and instantly start thinking about angels. I'm just, just going to go out on a limb. It was like, huh, I wonder what's going on. How are the wings really? And what do they look like? And what about those conversations? And I'm betting most of us didn't. Most of us didn't. But you know what's scary is I'm, 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 I'm equally positive that a lot of us didn't stand up or wake up start thinking about Jesus. We didn't, we didn't wake up, and that wasn't the first thing that came to our minds. I mean, maybe we can get a a little bit, bit of a cheat because it's a church day. It's like, well, I was thinking about church, which is Jesus' bride, and so does that kind of back end me in? Now, like, my, my point is this, is that none of us would probably say, if you're here today, none of us, most of us, I can't say none of us, most of us would probably say that, yeah, Jesus is the most important thing in our life. That's why we serve. That's why we sing music. That's why I give money. That's why I do all these things. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. But yet, when we wake up, he's probably not the first thing we think about. We may not even thought about him until we got in here. And you're pulling the shirt over your kid's head and just stand still. We're going to go to church and like it. You know, like, I mean, as you're doing all those things, right? See, these first century Jews, that was the issue. Again, we don't know a lot, but we know that the issue was that they were, they were falling back into religion. They are falling back into what seemed like an easier, safer thing. Well, look, if, we don't, if Jesus isn't front and center in our life every single day, every single decision, we're just making decisions where he's falling back in. And some of us, we're so good at this. We're going to talk about this when we get to Moses. But some of us are really good about making spiritual things greater than Jesus. And that's what the author is doing here. He's saying, look, it doesn't matter how amazing angels are. He's not arguing that they're not amazing. They're incredible. But they're not greater than Jesus. And you know what? The angel's purpose is, ready for this? It says it right here at the end. What are, they, what are they supposed to be doing? The angels are, are not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of who? Those who are to inherit salvation. God has sent the angels to literally work for those that are to inherit salvation. That's us. That's our family members that don't know Jesus yet. Like they're out, they're out working. They're doing stuff. God accomplishes two things through them. He sends them to serve us, to help us persevere in faith, inherit salvation. And these angels serving us, guess what? The enemies of God are made a footstool for Christ's feet. That's what's going to happen. But somehow, we keep waking up every morning thinking more about our 401ks, what we're going to do for the Christmas party. Should we have eggnog or not? I can't have it, but I would always recommend you drink it. It's awesome. We make, we make all kinds of decisions every single day. And, and my fear, my concern, my, my worry for myself, this is what God confronted me on this week, is that Jesus isn't the first thing I think about every day. I mean, a little confession, honestly, it's been fantasy lately. That stuff is addicting, okay? Like, just be careful. Fantasy football, it's really, really bad, okay? Should have said that the first time. People are like, fantasy what? <laughs> this just got awkward really fast. <laughs> Either way, we have got to, we have got to recognize that Jesus has to be the center of our lives. Jesus has to be the first thing we're thinking about. Jesus has to be our priority. 
And, and just in case you're wondering, again, I'm not the oldest, wisest person in the room. I'm very, very far from that. But one thing I've learned in my limited time is I don't think that that changes ever. I don't think we switch channels. Okay, Jesus has been made enough of let's go ahead and try this now. Let's just go ahead and move on this way. No, so when we, when we do anything, when we serve, when we love our spouse, when we love our kids, when we give, whatever we do, if it's not fixated on how is this going to make much of Jesus, we're worshiping something else. The band's going to come up and we're going to worship, not the band, not music, not the words and how they sound out of our mouths, but we're going to worship the God who is worthy of all worship. There is nothing, there is nothing that can sustain worship of us other than God. Nothing. It's not like when we worship, we're like, oh, we got to worship God a little less. He might get a little conceited or arrogant. It's not a fear. It's not like we go, oh, man, I worship God so much today. He must just know how thankful I am so I don't have to worship him for the rest of the week. That's not how it works. Jesus is greater, and the author is going to continue to push on this, and there's, there's concerns and fears that come when Jesus doesn't stay front and center in our life, and, and I, I want to just encourage you guys, as obviously next week we got Christmas Eve services, that'll be fun, normal time, right here, Christmas Eve, no other times, okay? But in, in two weeks, we're going to start in this first, like, big caution that the author has. He's going to say, look, you got, this is a big deal. Don't make light of Jesus Christ. Don't let something else spiritual take place or precedence in his life. Please don't. And for those of you that are experiencing hardships and difficulties and, and struggles right now due to sin and your own choices or other people's sin, it's, it's because Jesus hasn't been the center in that sinner's life or your sinner's life. A lot of times we, we, we get off center and, and maybe some of us are experiencing temptation from the enemy because we are being so faithful. I don't want to minimize that, but but the majority of the time, the reason why fear sets in and the reason why we get waylaid and the reason why we struggle is because Jesus isn't greater than something. And so I, I challenge you, I encourage you, I plead with you, let Jesus be greater than everything, even the thing you think about most. My prayer and my hope is that that would be replaced by Jesus. And that's what you'd be fixated on. You'd be annoying to other people. It's like, is that all you ever talk about? Is that all that this life is about? You just nod emphatically, absolutely. It's all that's worthy of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would um, forgive us for allowing things to take precedence over you, for allowing things to be greater than you. Even good things, God, even the good things that we, you call us to do by your word, forgive us for letting those become more than you as opposed to conduits that point to you and your glory. And Father, for, for the individuals in here that have been following you for a while, maybe that they could honestly say, like some said last week, I don't know if Jesus is the center of my life. I don't know if he truly is, if he truly is on the throne in my life. God, I pray that you would just, just soften our hearts, break through to them, allow them to realize that there is nothing else that can sustain that spot in their life. If we want hope and peace and joy, when experience your goodness, that is through you and you alone, nothing else. God, for the individuals in the room that continue to fight on submitting to you, Lord, would you break them down? God, for the family members that we're gonna come in contact with over this holiday season that don't know you, God, I pray that they would see something different in us and it wouldn't be our, our, our new haircut or the weight we've lost or the weight we put on, but God, I pray that they would see you and see the way that we submit to you. They would see that the way that you live out of us. They would see that, that just you, and they would, be, they would be drawn to you like anyone would be when they experience the true hope and joy and goodness of Jesus Christ. 
God, as we get ready to celebrate you, even around this time, God, the celebration of you coming to earth, God, that is just a small part of what you're doing. We know that ultimately you are sitting at the right hand of God, and Jesus, you deserve all of our worship. So as we sing here, I pray that we don't sing hindered by our own sinfulness. I pray that we don't sing hindered by what we worry about, what we think or sound like, but instead I pray that we would just sing and worship you who are worthy of all worship, God. Forgive us for anything less. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.